0: I'd like to let you know that Aussie Med Ed is sponsored by OPC Health, an Australian supplier of prosthetics, orthotics, clinic equipment, compression garments, rehabilitation devices for doctors, physiotherapists, orthotists, podiatrists, and hand therapists. If you'd like to know what OPC Health offers, visit opchealth.com.au and view their range online. Good day and welcome to Aussie Med Ed, the Australian medical education podcast program born during COVID times to emulate that general chit-chat and banter around the hospital with the idea of educating the medical student and GP alike. I'm Gavin Nyman, an orthopaedic surgeon based in Adelaide, and it's my pleasure to bring Aussie Med Ed to you. And in this series, we've taken a different approach where we ask consultants specialising in their area to address a particular problem and answer the questions on how they would both assess and treat that condition from a medical student or general practitioner's perspective. Once again, welcome to Aussie MedEd ed and I hope you enjoy the podcast. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast has been produced, and pay my respects to the elders both past and present. And today I'm joined by Peter Smitham, Associate Clinical Professor from the Royal Adelaide Hospital, and we're going to discuss a case of Gary Smith, a 56-year-old ex-marathon runner who presents with three years of aggressively worsening pain in his right groin when walking. I'm going to ask Peter about how he would assess this patient from the point of view of assessing him for an oski, he was a medical student, and what investigations and treatment he would recommend. Welcome, Peter Smitham.
1: Okay, thanks, Gavin. That's great to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you along. So these are 10 to 15-minute presentations to really give the medical students and general practitioners a really a, a taste of how we would like a, a medical student to assess a patient in presenting for an OSCE, or even just in the casualty department, or in a clinic. So in this scenario, um, Pete, this is a, a 56-year-old ex-marathon runner. He comes along with three years of progressing worsening pain in his right groin. What are you thinking first off, and how would you go about assessing him?
1: Well, I think what I'm thinking of first off is whether this is an uh, osteoarthritis of the hip or whether there's any uh, other pathology going on. And I'd be keen to get a really detailed uh, uh, history from him. And I think a history in orthopaedics is divided into three key areas, looking at a pain history, a functional history, and then risk factors for the osteoarthritis.
0: And you're thinking right from the start it's an osteoarthritic type of condition. What other conditions could it present with the hip scenario?
1: So, uh, I mean, in 56-year-old, I think uh, osteoarthritis would be the number one, but obviously labral tears are another one that could uh, be apparent in this sort of scenario, uh, along with a stress fracture. It's three years, so it's a chronic history, so you'd obviously still have to think of uh, a benign tumour or something like that going on as well.
0: And I suppose referred pain from the back too is also another thought as well.
1: Yep yep I mean I think uh, this one is specifically talking about pain into the groin so it'd be a slightly less uh, chance of it being referred from the back but it can be referred from the back uh, it could also be a hernia if you, uh, potentially but this does say that it's worsening when walking on uh, rather than actually just uh, groin pain generically so that this does look like from the the sort of key question uh, that this is uh, uh, hip arthritis I think Often, from a student point of view, it's really quite important to try and look at all the words and take in the the whole sort of history.
0: So, what do you think the other questions are that are important to ask to assess the type of pain he has?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, when you're talking about uh, pain, uh, if you need a mnemonic to remember, then Socrates is a good one, but there are many others out there. But the key things you're looking at is where specifically is the site of that pain, where is it maximally tender? When was the onset of this pain? Is it a gradual onset or a, uh, or a sudden onset? Is this pain progressive or regressive? The character of the pain, is it as sharp, a stabbing, an ache? Where the radiation of the pain is. Uh, associations, uh, so are there any symptoms associated with that pain? Uh, and the time course of this pain and how long it's been going, any exacerbating, relieving, factors. And the severity of the pain, how, how bad is this pain?
0: Anything else in the history you might want to ask about, apart from the side of pain and development and other associated factors?
1: Yeah, I think you need to move on to a functional history, trying to find out what they are able to do and unable to do. And it sort of starts to get you into the realm of fi- gauging what expectations uh, and the aims of any intervention that the person is requiring. For example, in this case, is he trying to return back to marathon running? At 56, are there particular sports this guy wants to do? We're, you know, we're getting more and more active uh, as a society as a whole. So what are the other sports? Is he trying to run, cycle, uh, play football with his kids? What, what, what are the aims here?
0: Is there anything else you'd like to do on the history before moving on to the examination? Anything important? Anything? I think
1: it's really important if you've got to talk about management to a patient is find out what interventions they've done before uh, because there's no point suggesting things if they've already done them. Uh, and they're also just trying to find out whether they're safe for surgery and therefore you need to take a brief uh, past medical history, drug history, sort of social history, because they're important if you're considering this patient going on to an operation.
0: I agree. There's nothing more frustrating than when the medical student just repeats the same treatment that the patient's already had without benefit. And obviously it's important to look at other options as well.
1: Uh, Absolutely. I think it really disillusions uh, the patient and it sort of means it sort of frustrates you that it it means that the sort of the, the student wasn't listening to to the to the, you know, the actor uh, throughout that history.
0: And what's your approach to the examination of this patient once you have completed the history?
1: So you're slightly guided by the uh, by you know your your history that you've taken. If we're going for a but in all cases you're still doing a look, feel, move, um, uh, simple examination for a medical student level. Uh, the Key things you're focusing on is looking at the uh, getting them to stand, looking at the sight uh, around the hips, see any uh, evidence of scars and muscle wasting, any leg length discrepancies, and getting them walking. And this sort of gives them the, from this you've seen their function and how they've got up out of a chair and how they can walk, gives you some sort of functional assessments to begin with.
0: I'd probably also add to that the importance of looking at the shoe wear and whether there's any other aids in the room as well, such as crutches or a walking stick, etc., I think also looking at gait patterns also really important. How do you think about this gait in assessing a patient and how do you describe it?
1: I think uh, one thing that's a good trick to do is if you do the Trendelenburg test uh, w- while they're standing before you do gait, then it can give for the students a sort of uh, a cheat look at seeing if they've got a Trendelenburg gait, if you've already proven that they've got Trendelenburg sign positive. Uh, the other most common gates that you're going to see for a hip patient would be a, sh- a antalgic gait, which means a short, a short stance phase on that side, and a, um, uh, a short leg gait.
0: Yeah, I think it's actually excellent when they come out with a options of those type of gait patterns. You may not need to know all of them. It would be nice if you did, but if you know a few of them to mention, it makes, it lo- makes you think of at least looking for them. So a, a student says, look, there's no antalgic gait, or there is an antalgic gait, uh, they're walking with a nice swing phase. It just looks more professional. And uh, always, always makes uh, one think that they actually know what they're looking for.
1: Yeah, I think it, they shouldn't rattle off everything under the sun, but uh, if they're looking at the three common things, then that's important, yeah, definitely.
0: Okay, so after that, what's the next step?
1: And then after you've uh, done your look, you can go on to uh, uh, feel uh, for feeling for tenderness. Not much to really do around the hip, but you might be looking to see if there's any tenderness over the greater canter. Um, uh, and then uh, go on to movement. And movement should really be active before passive. Uh, uh, When you're doing any movements or or even palpation, you need to be looking at the patient's eye or the actor's eyes uh, to make sure you're not causing any pain. uh.
0: Now, you mentioned looking for trochanteric bursitis when assessing the hip, particularly on palpation. I believe trochanteric bursitis, while it's not that common in an inpatient scenario, is actually quite a common setting in the private clinics and outside. Is that correct?
1: yeah absolutely and you'd be i think you, there are more patients that get referred to clinics sometimes with trochanteric bursitis whether that's as part of having a hip OA as well uh, and they've combined the two by that point uh, but it's certainly something a student should uh, check for
0: now if we return back to movement you talked about passive versus active motion but certainly i think one of the most important movement tests that we have in the in orthopaedics and particularly in the hip is thomas's test do you put a lot of emphasis on thomas's test
1: I think it's a really good one to do. It's, a, it's a, certainly, from a, again, for the students, it, it's an easy one to do to begin with uh, and shows them that they've sort of thought about what they're assessing. Um, and it, with the, within Thomas Test, you've got uh, the patient looking at active flexion uh, on both sides already. So you're actually getting sort of that active movement uh, and what the patient's capable of doing at the same time.
0: And the quick steps for that is to always flatten off the lumbar lordosis before and flexing by flexing up the op- opposite hip, and then looking for extension and flexion.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the key, the key t- uh, tricks to do this well is put your hand, uh, warn the patient you can do it, but f- put your hand behind their back first. Then actually get them to flex both hips up, uh, because they'll often find that if they just flex the opposite leg up, it's a bit too painful for them, and they they have limitation. They don't have to flex them all the way up. Both sides, but at least flex both of them up to about 45 degrees, and then ask them to carry on lifting up the opposite leg up and grab it with both hands and hold it as tight to their chest as they can. And then gradually lower the uh, leg that you're testing down to the floor and see if they've got a fixed flexion deformity. And the ways to check for fixed flexion deformity would be one feeling the tension on your uh, hand getting less uh, as the arch of the back returns, and the other would be actually the leg not being able to reach the floor.
0: One of the issues medical students have is worrying about all the special tests they have to know. Once you've done flexion, extension, abduction, adduction and in internal rotation, what special tests do you think are important when assessing a hip, particularly for the medical student?
1: Uh, I think Thomas and Trendelenburg will be the two that I'd mainly focus on uh, uh, for most uh, hip osteoarthritis. I think if you've got a very young patient, you might be wanting to do uh your FIDEA's test for looking at label tears, but at 56 uh, and with a history of three years or so, I, prob- I wouldn't even be thinking it would be highly important in, uh, uh, in this scenario. Uh,
0: one of the other tests that uh, students will get caught up on are the actual looking for leg length discrepancy. Now, I usually find that's probably done at the beginning when I get them to stand with their legs together and just feel the top of the anterior superior leg spines. Uh, as a general test, but w- after that, if you feel there's some, some discrepancy, how much do you think this is important in a student scenario versus a uh, re- orthopedic registrar leading up to their fellowship exam?
1: Yeah, okay, so, I mean, the, the first scenario with a lot of for students, you're going to have an actor in the room, so the chance of realistically finding a leg length discrepancy in an actor that we've managed to find uh, coming is, is next to zero. Um, so, so I think from a student point of view that, that there is uh, not a huge amount uh, of benefit, uh, although I think it is important to understand some of those basic principles. And the key to really understand is more the concept than actually the techniques. Uh, trying to understand the difference between a functional leg length discrepancy, a, an apparent leg length discrepancy and a true leg length discrepancy are important to understand because it allows you to understand you know, why you're doing a Thomas test, for example, uh, you know, whether there's any uh, problems with scoliosis and back problems as well. And then if you want to know one simple test that, that uh, students should do if they think there's a leg length discrepancy, then I think Gagliazzi's test is a, is a great one to, to do to see if the uh, discrepancy is above or below the, uh, uh, the, 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 the knee.
0: That's the one where you flex the hip up to 45 degrees and have the knees at 90 degrees I believe, is that correct?
1: That's right, and you've, the key here is you've got to make sure you've got a s- pelvis is square and the uh, ankles are also s- uh, square and parallel to the pelvis.
0: Okay, now moving on to investigations, which ones would you start off with? What are the important ones?
1: Yeah, so we start off with with obviously the key one being a plane x-ray, uh, and this is a plane uh, AP and lateral radiograph of the hips. Um, and the to be honest with you, that's the initial one that you'd want to do to make the diagnosis.
0: Are there any particular views you need to ask for when ordering the x-rays of the hip?
1: So the main views is just a, is, is a, a, a bilateral AP pelvic x-ray, um, or hip x-ray is actually better. Uh, there's a slight difference between a hip and a pelvic x-ray, but the aim is to do a comparison between the two. One of the beauties of orthopaedics is that you've got the other side uh, often to compare, and look at uh, see if the pathology or the, the hips look the same. So if, even if you're struggling to understand what an x-ray looks like, just look at the other side and see if they look the same or something looks different.
0: And what do you think you expect to see in this gentleman? Yes,
1: yeah, so in this case, I'd, I'd be expecting to see the classic things of osteoarthritis, which be a loss of joint space, sclerosis, uh, and some uh, osteophytes and some subscondal cysts. Now the subcondal cysts can be a bit harder for a student to, to see and identify, but to be honest with you, I think they're the, they're the least of the uh, of the other th- uh, three uh, that are important to see. And I think if you've picked up all the others, you're still doing a, a great pass at this point. So usually with an x-ray you get the
0: answers. Are there any other tests you might want to do in, in any situation?
1: Yes, yeah, so, I mean I think there's, the, there's a few other things you need to think about if you're Planning on going on surgery, you need to do blood tests to check whether they're safe for surgery uh, and to rule out any inflammatory arthritis, potentially, if you think that's one of the uh, suspicions. And again, if, this, if the, there's not a significant amount of arthritis on the x-ray, uh, then you may need to consider whether this patient has got uh, a labral tear or any other uh, pathology. And finally, is is again. It comes more in the history and examination. Again, if you think this could be referred to pain from the back, you maybe want to do some examinations or special tests, uh, special investigations for the back as well.
0: Yeah, of course. So that obviously, it's always worth perhaps checking uh, neurology at the end if there was any concern about the back, and also pulses too if there was any concern. Yeah,
1: and I think you need to be checking the joints above and below. This is again classic, uh, basic things to consider for all joints. So below you'd be checking there's no pathology in the knee and uh, and uh, you know you could do a, a simple uh, basic you know screening of the back as well.
0: I think in a time-based assessment uh, for an OSCE scenario and even in even in general practice too the key point is to actually look at the joint that's involved and then mention those other areas at the yeah. end if you have got enough time to go go through and assess them properly.
1: Yeah, I don't I, I totally agree with you Gavin this the student in their time period sh- should not be wasting their time doing these things but it's something that they could actually just mention that they are going to do a, a full neovascular and examine joints above and below.
0: Yep, so we've, made, we've got, got x-rays and we've decided that this gentleman does actually have arthritis of, his, of the hip and it's been going on for three years. Uh, the, at this stage, he hasn't had a lot of uh, treatment. Um, what, what would you, how would you address his, his issues and how, what do you think the first stage of treatment would be for this gentleman?
1: I think the first uh, stage of treatment is actually making sure the patient knows what their diagnosis is and sort of the general course of uh, osteoarthritis and getting them to understand that. Then the early treatments are simple analgesics, uh, changing activities, um, uh, potentially changing shoes, using sticks uh, in the opposite hand, obviously. Make sure if you are going to suggest a walking stick that they're told to use it in their their opposite uh, hand. And then uh, making them understand that osteoarthritis is a sort of waxing, waning, gradually progressive disease uh, that will mean that ultimately they, they may need a, a hip replacement.
0: So really the treatment really does involve the treatment of the pain and therefore you need to involve the whole team in an approach. Get a general practitioner involved for analgesic advice and a psychological support, involving physiotherapists if they haven't been involved. Also consider also the patient's attitude towards the pain and explain to them that it's not vital they have to have surgery or anything done and that if they can learn to live with it, it's worth trying to go as long as possible.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one thing neither of us have mentioned uh, and the chaps talked about being an excellent uh, mouth and runner is we don't know what his body mass index is now and how overweight he is. So actually trying to lose weight is a really important one to use. I think physiotherapy is less important for hips than knees, but is something that still can be considered. Um, uh, but it's really sort of trying to, uh, as you say, it's a multimodal approach uh, uh, to initial management.
0: So... He comes. He's gone through all that process, and uh, we've, we've assessed him in the in the OSCE scenario on the general practice. And the examiner looks like he's looking for further information from the student or the patient's looking for more information from the GP. Having tried all the non-operative measures, what are the operative? What would operative approach would you recommend to this patient? Should he have failed all the other measures?
1: Yeah. So if he's failed everything else, then the the operative uh, treatment would be a hip replacement. He needs to obviously understand hip replacement isn't without uh, risks and and uh, complications uh, and therefore the level of uh, pain he's in has to be at a sufficient level that he's prepared to take on the, the risk of uh, the complications from a hip replacement.
0: I think it's really key to know the risks of, of any surgery and I always like to think of them in early, intermediate and long term and general and local causes. Now in an eight minute OSCE exam or even in a short uh, general practice consultation it's impossible to go through all of that and that's why we spend a lot of time talking about risks when we see them in the clinics. Um, but certainly, what are the key risks that you would mention uh, that you expect students to know about for a hip replacement?
1: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I think the key things to, to think about are infection, dislocation uh, and fracture uh, as the intermediate to immediate ones. The other ones uh, immediately would be deep vein thrombosis going on to pulmonary embolisms. Uh, I think... Uh, one thing if you've got a very educated patient uh, um, and who wants more information they, they is get them actually look at the um, uh, Australian Orthopaedic Association National Joint Replacement Registry. It gives them sort of some basic guidelines of what their risk factors would be for their age uh, and, um, and sex uh, if they have a hip replacement. Uh, it gives them their sort of percentage chance of revision for each year afterwards.
0: I think that's very good points. In general, hip replacement have got a pretty good track record. How, what length of time would you normally advise a patient that a hip replacement would last for? Now, I know this may vary between the size of the patient, the, the sex, a lot of, mo- lot of factors, and therefore you can't always say this applies to everyone. But in general, how long do they last for?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, <laughs> hip replacements of all joint replacements has got the longest uh, longevity of lasting. And I think it's important to understand that different joints also uh, have different uh, longevity and also different uh, different replacements, different approaches for hip replacements have different uh, um, longevity and risk factors. So these need to be considered. But in general, at 15 years, you're looking at 93% uh, chance of, uh, uh, of that implant still being in place um, for hip replacement. They've got a really good uh, track record.
0: That's pretty amazing. So... Really, if we are going to summarise this, this lad, how would you, if you were presenting to me, Peter, as a, as a medical student and I was the examiner, how would you summarise this, this guy in general, taking into consideration what we, some assumptions we found on the examination?
1: Fine, so if I'm referring this to you, uh, I would say uh, I'd like to refer uh, Gary Smith uh, f- uh, for consideration of a hip replacement. He's a 56-year-old, uh, 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 highly active gentleman who's had three-year history of progressive uh, pain in his right groin Uh, X-rays show uh, symptoms of uh, osteoarthritis uh, and he has uh, examination findings consistent with osteoarthritis. I've gone through the risks and uh, benefits and he's failed in non-operative managements now uh, and I'd like you to assess him to see if he could consider a hip replacement. Excellent. Uh,
0: Well, I think that's a uh, a a good story for a very classic and common presentation to a uh, lower limb orthopaedic clinic. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to add for that one, Peter?
1: No, I think that's good. I mean, we've gone on for obviously longer than uh, uh, 10 minutes, um, but I think a lot of this can be just uh, rattled off uh, within the 10 minutes uh, of uh, an exam. It's just trying to keep it short and concise and sort of go uh, with some of the initial history findings to steer you in the right direction.
0: Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Gavin. That's great. I'd like to thank you very much for listening to our podcast. I'd like to remind you that the information provided today is just for general medical advice and does not pertain to one particular medical condition or one way of treating a particular condition. If you have any concerns about information raised today, please do not hesitate to contact your general practitioner for further information. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast and please don't hesitate to give us a like or tell your friends about it or give us a positive review. We look forward to presenting another podcast to you in the near future on a different topic. Until then, stay safe.